0: Our good friend, industry analyst, and frequent guest, Jay McBain, has coined this the decade of the ecosystem. After years of taking a backseat to direct go-to-market and selling, the ecosystem is finally taking center stage as the next lever to business growth. Our next guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering is a leader in driving partnership growth. Having collaborated with two friends to start a movement, and a community, helping alliance and partnership leaders advance this revolution in B2B selling. This is The Ultimate Guide to Partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome to or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and today I welcome Chris Similla, Chief Partner Officer at Partnership Leaders, an organization and community focused on empowering partnership professionals to advance their careers and build their partnership programs. Along with Ty Radigan and Asher Matthew, Chris started Partnership Leaders to be the catalyst of change in B2B selling. I am so excited for our shared mission and what we all hope to do to put partner-led front and center. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed getting to know Chris Similla. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to be here, Vince. Thank you so much. I am so excited to finally welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You have been around this world of partnerships for quite some time as the founder of Partnership Leaders and recently became its first full-time employee, leading the next phase of its growth. So welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So for our listeners who may not know Chris Amelia,
1: can you tell us a little bit more about you and how you got to this point in your career? Yeah, definitely. So I've most of my career has been spent in partnerships. In the early days, I worked in the clean tech industry. Um, and so I was in sort of more of the traditional channel world of distributors and hardware and resellers and all that good stuff. Worked at SolarCity, managed Tesla, so I had some good exposure there. And then realized that living in San Francisco, the, I could see the, the growth of SaaS or software as a service was really taking off. I took a pretty big demotion (laughs) and joined as an SDR with a company called Optimizely. Not too long after joining, I was part of the founding team of the partner organization at Optimizely, which was a a MarTech company. And so that was my beginning of life in the modern partnerships world of of SaaS partnerships. It was a a fun journey and it ultimately led me to, to moving to the Australian region to manage APAC for Optimizely before the second half of my career took off. So were there any aha moments at that point? Yeah. And I think the, for me personally, I've always found that if I focus on like the empathy of what the partner needs, it really helps orient around how do you create value for them, but also, of course, your own organization. I really saw myself as almost like a, a, as much as I could as a consultant for the agencies, especially once we realized that you really ought to be working with a managing director or someone pretty senior at the service company. And hawking your own product only gets so far. If you move into the mind space of being an industry expert, especially if you work in partnerships at a tech company, there's just this avalanche of content being given to us through ebooks and webinars and podcasts. And if you can take some of that and turn it around and give it to your partners to be seen as sort of this like harvester of interesting knowledge and, and, and really trying to help them in their business. That's when the penny dropped and I realized, okay, like you can build really deep relationships. In fact, I actually met my wife at one of my agency partners' weddings uh, (laughs) down in Australia. So all things partnerships all all day long for for me. (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, the genesis of so many things from your partnership experiences. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, Carolyn's been really good to me. She's. I actually was kind enough to move back to America when I joined a company called Full Story. I moved from more of a practitioner, like partner manager, I did manage the whole region, but it was really a move into more of a leadership role as the VP of partnerships at Full Story. And that was honestly, that was the beginning of partnership leaders, because I realized that there's a bunch of stuff I didn't know how to do. There's a, a, hopefully I could also share my knowledge with other folks that were on the journey of building these programs. So we created an email thread with about 15 peers in the space. And then with, within a week, we realized email is too slow. And so we jumped on the, on Slack to really accelerate how much we could collaborate. And that was the beginning, in essence, of of the community. So take us back there, because
0: I think it was a really interesting story. And you did a post on this, right? So a few of you met each other, either in person or maybe virtually, and then started this. So tell us a little bit more about how that all happened.
1: Yeah, so some of the folks that I... Uh, We we got on the original email thread I had worked with previously at Optimizely. Um, These are other other technology partner managers and leaders at at companies in the space. And interestingly enough, I purposely added one of our direct competitors, this gentleman named Galad uh, from Content Square. And we agreed like, hey... And we we compete on the battlefield. We're, we're trying to win business, but you know, in the craft of partnerships, like we should openly try to support each other. And it sort of set the tone for the community early on. And so Galad and a number of other folks, plus I had the good fortune of running into Asher Matthew at Dreamforce, which was uh, one of my co-founders for for partnership leaders. And I could just see the excitement and passion around just this new world of SaaS partnerships. And it was pretty apparent that. There was a core group of people, Asher, and then also my former co-worker, Ty Radigan from Optimizely. He managed uh, the European region for us as the partner leader. We sort of just doubled down on, okay, how can we help as many people as possible and in in the early days it was really just questions coming in we were jumping onto them helping connect people and it was like very much a the goal was to just lift up our space because a a lot of us feel like we're on an island in our own organizations and you can't really be as transparent about questions you might have because everybody looks at you as we hired you to be the expert (laughs) and there's a lot of surface area and partnerships to to know everything and so that was that was the foundation of what we're trying to build I so get this, right?
0: So I've run partnerships before in other organizations. I've also been a chief revenue officer in other organizations. I've seen it from both sides. And you're right. When you're sitting there and I came in once to be the partner leader and the first, that was the first comment I brought in, I brought in somebody else to help us. And that was the first comment was like, well, we hired you to go do this. It's so complex and people don't realize that you need some additional, like you need more people to help along the journey. I love that.
1: Yeah. I I think the... The ability for the partner organization to help the rest of the business is thankfully becoming a, a bit more apparent. I think the notion that we're some team that sits off in the corner and just resells some finished product is just not the reality of things. You know, we have to have partners co-selling with us and co-marketing and co-innovating, you know, through integrations, et cetera, And we can't do that alone. Like we inherently need the support of the other business functions to do that well. And I think we're starting to see second and third time CEOs that have seen this model actually play out the right way. And so they're being more thoughtful and and creating that space and resources for these teams. But there's still a ton of partner folks out there that are sitting in organizations that haven't quite gotten the the leadership team on board with like, what does it truly mean to be, you know, building like a a partnership organization that's impacting the whole business? So Chris, before we started today, we were both sharing
0: our experiences of being in this partnership world. And sometimes it feels like a lonely place. It feels like you're on an island. We use the term redheaded stepchild sometimes. And I find that the organizations that struggle the most are the ones where the chief revenue officer, maybe the CEO, maybe the chief marketing officer have only worked in direct only models, right? And ISVs are independent software vendors for that reason. They didn't grow up inherently to be partner organizations. But as you suggest, like this world of partnering became so important in the time period you were working in, in the MarTech world, but also beyond that. What did
1: the experience feel like from your side? I think the aspirationally, I was trying to build programs that we, in essence, worked with all the departments. So whether it was the co-innovation piece Collaborating with the product organization to be able to figure out what's our roadmap and what are our tech partners' roadmaps and where do we intersect? Or from the customer success perspective, how can we use agency partners to augment our own customer success motion and give us more scale or do things we don't want to do? I was constantly trying to think about like where can we overlap some of these business goals and create a lane for partners to operate with our organization that's worked well as long as the other the other leader in the organization is oriented the right way and is incentivized the right way and, and a lot of this does come down from the ceo or even the board for that matter at this point and we are seeing in the space more vcs who sit on boards in many cases they're realizing that organizations that have a thriving partner ecosystem are generally a more stable more efficient company long term not every VC has realized this, which is why we see in some cases pretty dramatic, unfortunate layoffs happening at, at a lot of SaaS companies right now, where they're in some cases taking away the entire partner team, which is craziness. This is where you have to be really aligned with the CEO around what are we trying to build and and how do you get that support so that you're not just trying to do this by yourself? It just won't work. If you have a CEO that, that's of that mindset, reorienting them around, what does a modern partner program look like? How can they support that? Because I think that's something that a lot, of, a lot of folks are still struggling with. I've talked to numerous CEOs over the last few weeks where they've had their head of partnerships join partnership leaders. And they're like, they're wanting to know what other CEOs are thinking and how are they resourcing this and how long does it take to get return, et cetera. Because it's new. Many CEOs and executives have built those direct models, as you said. But this world of, of partnerships is still new to a lot of people to your point this is why the movement right and
0: you and partnership leaders have been at the center of the maelstrom of this movement so what is your ultimate vision then for partnership leaders is it to help to i'll say democratize the partnership experience across all organizations is it to be an evangelist what what do you see as the ultimate vision
1: yeah this has been super interesting on the outside we look like a community or a professional association but From our thinking of where we want to take this, we see it as as a a platform for success for professionals in the partnerships world. And there are other organizations out there. I think Pavilion is probably another good example where once you have a core community of professionals, what can you build to support those folks, whether it's education or networking opportunities or business development or resource libraries, whatever, whatever form it may take, there's various things you can build to support these professionals. The mission of the organization itself is really just to elevate partnerships to really, in essence, get more C-suite representation for chief partnership officers or chief ecosystem officers, because that's still very much in the minority globally. And until that changes, like, we're always going to be playing catch up, not getting the resources we need, not getting the funding to buy the tooling we really need. We've really tried to embrace... How do we help these professionals on their journey? And then what things can we build? Once you have that core community in place, what can you build to support them and and continue growing? We have 1,200 members in the community today. Many of them are from the SaaS 1000, great representation from a lot of really high growth companies, Um, but there's 100,000 plus partner professionals out there. And so there's still a ton of room to go out and help a lot more people over time. So Chris... You've just announced your next phase. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so really excited. I feel fortunate that I'm able to actually do this, but I've moved over full time to partnership leaders. And so for the last four years, Ty Radigan, Asher, and myself have been working late nights and weekends building the organization that that supports partnership leaders as well as literally dozens and dozens of people around the world that are helping us either as contractors or volunteers. But I've moved over as chief partnership officer for the organization, which I'm just so thrilled about uh, because I actually can spend all day really thinking about what do we need to do to scale the organization, work with media partners, work with technology partners, work with our version of solutions partners, which is consultancies that can help these partner organizations. So there's just like A ton of surface area of interesting partnerships we can build to help us really scale because we have literally members on every continent except Antarctica that are trying to build their own partnership organizations and we got to figure out ways to support them around the world. And so it's a global business and. A lot of the networking community building is inherently local. So we have chapters in 30-plus major cities. And we we look to partners uh, of all shapes and forms to help us actually support those folks and to grow awareness of the organization around the world. So there's no playbook for partnerships, and there's inherently uh, even less of a playbook for community building. There's a lot of free communities out there, um, but there's a a much smaller number of paid sort of member-based organizations like what we're doing. But it's fun. We relish the challenge of of scaling this thing up.
0: Many organizations are learning to do more with less. And as you think about how you're going to reach your revenue targets this year, I recommend you check out PartnerTap, a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. PartnerTap's pipeline discovery and co-selling platform will help your channel and sales teams to hit their revenue targets faster even with fewer resources. PartnerTap gives your teams the new automation and partner data you need to source more pipeline and close deals faster with your best partners. You can find out more information at PartnerTap.com. First of all, I love Chief Partnership Officer. I just love that title. And the fact that you're, you're eating your own dog food, right? Because you're building more partnerships with partnership leaders. So I love the fact that that's a main mission of the role. And I got to speak to some of your leads. Your new Australian lead, Desmond Russell, is a good friend. So uh, it's great to see that you're going across the world, really. Israel, I mean, other locations that I've spoken to some of your partnership leaders, chapter leaders, a lot of great work going on there.
1: Yeah, we, I definitely. This is ability for us to, to grow. The impact of partnership leaders is linked to really passionate people working on it. So we are super, super appreciative of, of all those folks. And it's fun. There's no shortage of things we can build to help support the industry. I think we're, we're benefiting from a, a little bit of the fact that Asher, myself and Ty have come out of high growth SaaS companies. And we, we operate partnership leaders less like maybe a traditional industry association and more like a very, very efficient SaaS company. And we've, we've literally had to build this thing also in an asynchronous manner because was we're inherently all remote from one another. So we've gotten very efficient in actually like figuring out what we should do, how we do it, and then executing on that in a way that's like over a handful of Slack messages kind of thing.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Agile. Agile development. <laughs> yeah, big time. So, you've been around this world of partnerships. We've been talking about this. You know, this is the ultimate guide to partnering. So, I love to ask each of my guests, like,
1: what have you seen from the best partnerships, Chris? Yeah, I think like the common threads that I've noticed is when I've been able to most effectively work with my partners, it's when we've gotten that internal buy in on the vision of partnerships. When you have the support of the product organization and the customer success team and the sales team and the marketing team, and you have You've got the attribution stuff somewhat figured out and you're not fighting over who sourced the uh, the sales opportunity because you've got alignment with this with the frontline sales organization. that sort of blocking and tackling of, of like the first year's growth of the partner organization is just invaluable because if you are driven to immediately start turning out churning out revenue in the first quarter, it's pretty darn likely you're going to have misalignment with other parts of the organization that don't quite understand how they should be operating with you. And so I have, over time, realized that I should definitely make sure that the CEO understands this, that, that first six months is really change management and alignment internally. And then you'll, you're going to start experimenting to figure out which of the partner programs make sense for, for our business. And some of those are going to resonate, and some of them are, and you're going to quickly pivot to the ones that, that do. But when you do have that internal alignment, you then have the freedom to be able to work with partners, of whether they're tech partners or service partners, to bring them and embrace them in your organization. There is so much surface area for these partners to interact across the entire customer journey. Our friend Jay McBain is talking a lot about this, where we're not just thinking about transactional partners, but folks that can, partners that can engage from the beginning of the life cycle all the way to post sale. And so mapping that out and getting alignment of where you're going to focus your energy based on what, what your business needs, that sort of due diligence upfront really pays dividends and makes your life a lot easier to go deeper with the partners you want to engage with. So
0: you mentioned internal buy-in and you mentioned the CEO, right? That buy-in. And then you also mentioned some of the other organizations getting on board. Is there anything specific, any best
1: practices you can share here? Spending time with the CEO, especially as as a partner leader, a lot of times the partner team gets nestled under maybe the sales organization or under the marketing team. Um, And that's fine in the the early stages where having some organizational structure to help support you growing the team is totally fine. I think at some juncture, and this is just my personal philosophy, is that the partnerships organization should actually report into the CEO, or if they do report into, say, the CRO, There needs to be a recognition of goals and metrics that are not just revenue oriented, but play into, okay, I need to work with the product organization to make sure we get APIs built so that we can actually build the integrations we need. Like these are the foundational investments um, so that a year or two down the road, you can actually get a bunch more momentum with the the partner profiles you want to pursue. And so... Somebody on the C-suite has to agree with like the direction you want to take the partnership organization. Because you know, going back to her earlier statement about like SaaS partnerships, it's not like the the olden days when you had a a finished piece of software and you were shipping it somewhere. Inherently SaaS is changing, you know, every few days potentially. And so you have to work with partners to co-sell. The clients expect to have a relationship with the ISV. Um, it's just a different playing field, which is also why we built partnership leaders is the way we go to market as partner organizations is, is really changing a lot because of the delivery mechanism for modern software. Um, so these things are sort of intimately kind of connected together. It's like, if we didn't have SaaS, we may not have partnership leaders because the way that we did partnerships traditionally would still be the dominant form of, of doing so. Yeah, you you bring up some really good points here on getting, I call it the C-suite
0: optics, right? You may historically roll up underneath the chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer. Traditionally, alliances will sit under those functions. But then having the optics and having the investment, I think is what you were saying, right? Making sure that from the product perspective, the marketing perspective, the customer support perspective, all those perspectives... It's understood and it's in incorporated into the go-to-market motion for the organization.
1: Yeah, a thousand percent. And it's also something where I think partner organizations and we saw this. We did a, a big research report with Canalis and and HubSpot around partner ops and programs and. Many organizations don't have good attribution to recognize all the hard work that the partners are doing and the partner organization. They're, we're sort of begging and pleading for RevOps resources to build out some of this tracking. And that's something where I imagine that's going to change. We see this actually, there's very vibrant conversations and partnership leaders around this right now as like best practices around the attribution of partnerships and how you set this up in your CRM and all that good stuff. Foundationally, you, you need that in place because you need to be able to report back the impact you're starting to make on the, on the company. And so many partner teams are underappreciated because they don't they don't have a way to actually highlight outside of maybe sourced revenue, which is pretty darn easy, you know, to to track once you have a PRM or some kind of deal registration. But it's all the other influence moments of revenue that are. Today, very challenging in many cases to actually actually track, and so you as a partner leader have to spend a good bit of time, probably more so than marketing and sales to some extent, like defending why you exist in the organization because we don't have as as strong of tooling in place as some of those other other organizations, and that is changing. That's like one place like we have an angel syndicate in partnership leaders specifically because we wanted to help connect the upstart seed level partner tech organizations that are building the innovative solutions to help these modern partner teams. We wanted to connect them to people that could help fund them and help guide them to, to grow these businesses. And we see right now an interesting, not explosion, but I'd say growth of, of new innovative partner tech starting to come on the market. Um, and that's exciting. That will make our lives easier as partner professionals, as these things mature. I mean, it's great. We're finally getting the focus to kind of match what has historically been done for sales, marketing, customer success, et cetera, on the tooling front.
0: Yeah. That attribution piece, our good friend, Jay McBain brought up the fact that you know the MarTech stack, 12, 15 years ago, you didn't know where half of your dollars went. Like The attribution back to the marketing spend wasn't there before we had the technology to support it. And then with this channel tech stack, or partnership ecosystem tech stack, as we're now calling it. But there's a huge opportunity here on the attribution piece. I also wanna make sure we put a link in the show notes to that amazing survey. I participated in it and I've consumed it. And I think it was just a terrific piece of work and love to see more of that come out of our industry.
1: Yeah, we were super proud of that. And that's the kind of stuff that when we as a, a community, we can focus everyone's attention on like, hey, if we all contribute to something like this, we're going to get some super valuable intel back, which will then subsequently be able to be used to help you know advocate for more resources for the partner organization. So we definitely intend to do more of those. And a huge thanks to Canalis and HubSpot to really bring that thing to life. But yeah, that's I every few days I get a ping from somebody that has mentioned that they're using it in their executive meetings to to advocate for more resources, which is awesome.
0: So you hosted. Your first Alive event this year in Miami. And I regrettably couldn't make it. We had this conversation like early in the year. I had this family wedding and tell your ride, but now you're having it in Denver. So I'm so excited for this. Tell us more about the Catalyst 2023 event, Chris.
1: Yeah. So this was like super fun. Last year, we did an event in August in Miami. It was about 450 ish people attended, which was amazing, it was really focused on. Partnership organizations heavily oriented on tech companies. We did have service companies there as well. And I think like ultimately, like it was Miami was really good to us. It was a little warm, it was a little toasty in August in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> as you know, as a fellow Floridian. Um, I think this upcoming year we realized that we we wanted to keep it in August because Catalyst, the goal of the event is to s- set people up for success in the second half of the year. So there's a bunch of other awesome events in the first half of the year. There's SAS Connect and Supernode from Crossbeam, etc. And so we can build into the Catalyst event. And it'll be in August, from August 21st to 23rd in Denver. Learning from last year's event, we realized that folks actually started showing up before the conference officially opened. We had some education stuff going on. And like the foyer just started filling with tons of people wanting to hang out and connect with one another. So we're embracing that concept for this upcoming year's event. We're going to have a lot more networking opportunities and special activities to get folks connected. But yeah, education, we're going to have a bunch of really innovative companies uh, exhibiting, of course. uh, And we're going to wrap around the event some Denver-specific outdoor activities to really get people to spend time with one another and, and and find those new partnerships and to deepen those relationships with their existing partners. So super pumped. We're shooting for 800 plus people this year. Um, and it's at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Denver. So nice. uh, Vince, you're going to make it this year. We're going to get you out there, buddy. I am
0: committing right here, Chris. I, I'm going to be here. Ultimate Partnerships Mastermind is going to be there. We're going to do something special around this event. I can't wait to join you. So i like to pivot here a little bit. Many of our listeners are earlier in career professionals trying to understand how to get to this spot in their career, Chris. And so I was wondering, was there like a spark or a best piece of advice along the journey to become an incredible
1: entrepreneur? Yeah, I think this one's, my perspective on this has been reinforced by watching, I think the last four years of when professionals actually take the time out of their schedule to try to network with their peers in the space. So much of what we're doing is peer-to-peer learning. Like you can't go on Amazon and buy a book, how to do a lot of the the modern partner plays. And so we're collectively figuring this out. And I've seen over and over again where, where folks actually, it doesn't take that much time. Just take 30 minutes once a week, go meet somebody new, go talk to somebody else in the space. They can be more senior than you. You can learn from them. I guarantee you, you can share things that will help them on their journey even on the flip side, you might only be a year in partnerships, but there's somebody who literally started last week and investing in, in your network is just incredibly important. And we've seen this actually play out more recently on, on the just economic turmoil. There are folks that are getting laid off that haven't invested in their network as much and are probably out there struggling to some extent. And then there's other folks, Aaron Howard Howerton is a great example. He was part of a layoff from our company. He knew a lot about partner ops and he he doubled down and just started contributing on, on LinkedIn. He's part of the PL community. He just started doing as much content that talk about the state of partner ops and starting to figure out what's going on there. And like that guy is not going to be unemployed for very much longer. Like he really invested in 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 taking some time to make sure that he had a network outside of his own company because it's vitally important. We do an amazing, good job in our day jobs. But in in just the reality of the world today, like you've got to have a network outside of your own company and, and learning from peers is going to be super, super important for many, many years to come. So I'd say like my number one piece of advice is get out there, talk to other people in the space go to networking events, just like carve out a little bit of time each week to do this. It will, it will pay massive dividends long-term for you. I love that advice. I actually
0: spoke to Aaron last week. In fact, he got his new PC. He start, I think he's starting this week or next week
1: in a new role. So, congratulations to him. Super proud of him. He, uh, he's with a really cool company too. And it's just like, it was so apparent that the world rallied around him. And I've seen this also with other folks in the community where they have spent time helping others. And then when something unfortunate happened for them, it was like a wave of people came in to endorse them. And it's like, that is way more effective than just a, a few LinkedIn recommendations. Like having people actively trying to help you comes from you investing in, in that network. Great pieces of advice, Chris, for our listeners. And this is a favorite
0: question of mine, Chris. So you are hosting a dinner party, and you can host this dinner party in any part of the world. We can talk about where that is next. And you can invite any three guests from the present or the past to this amazing dinner party. Whom would you invite and why?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think definitely one of them would be Carl Sagan. Ooh. He is a prolific science fiction writer and scientist. I was very much inspired as a child reading a lot of his books and just hearing his voice warms the heart a little bit when you go back and listen to some of the PBS specials and stuff. I've I've always been attr- attracted to just the devoted their life to to making the world a better place. So I I he would definitely be at the table. It's sad he's no longer with us. Yeah. I think having probably Bill Gates, I massively respect how much he donates to the world through all these different causes and the Gates Foundation. But he also seems to have a really good sense of continuing to invest in his own knowledge. I read his book list every year. And thankfully, he's still with us. So he could actually rock up and hang out with us at dinner. Nice. (laughs) And the third one, I worked at at Tesla and Elon was there. And I know Elon's a little controversial these days. I do find him... It was a very challenging work environment. Probably would have died young if I continued my career there. But there is something to be said about like the amount of momentum he's built in the clean tech industry, specifically through Tesla. So if we get rid of the uh, the things that are on the on, on the edges of uh, you know, I don't know the best way to describe it, but <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. The bad things, take the yes. bad things out and have the have the really insightful entrepreneurial aspects of of Elon. I think he'd be a fun person to to really spend some time with. He didn't get here by coincidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And what a great group of people! I'd love to come join, maybe for a cocktail. Where are you hosting this party? Have you decided yet? Well, if, if Elon Elon's with us, we'll be doing it on Mars. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Carl Sagan, though—that's a first. I loved Carl Sagan growing up. He was a billions and billions. I loved this. like, you. Know, oh man, was, it's, yeah.
1: it's just—you go back and listen to that stuff, and it's. Uh, it, there was a, a point in, in time that. It felt very inspirational to the things we were doing just as a species. And that kind of it, those folks don't come around as often as they as they should. So hopefully there's hopefully we see more of that in the future. I have a two-year-old now, uh, and you just you just hope for a better future for them kind of thing. Congratulations. That's amazing. So Chris, you've been a lot of fun
0: guests. They've been an amazing guest and a fun guest as well. For our listeners, any words of wisdom, advice? that you would share with them on optimizing for success in this new year?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think the, I would, I would invest in your own education. I I think the the pace at which we're figuring out how to do things in partnerships is just accelerating because so many of us are getting connected now and able to share our own best practices on things. So take that time to invest in yourself. I think Some people are fortunate to stay at companies for a long time. The trend is the opposite of that. A lot of folks end up having to change roles every every two to three years. But you can make that cycle of building a new partner program so much faster when you take the knowledge you've gained from your direct experience. But also, if you sprinkle in a bunch of insights from people that are building aspects of partner programs you're not familiar with, I think that's like... That peer-to-peer learning is, is essential. Uh, and there's just so much good content out there. I mean, Vince, you have your podcast here, which is amazing. There's increasing number of other podcasts and, and webinars and things that it's very easy for us in partnerships to get overwhelmed and just focus on like our core day job, but When you're on the Peloton, you're out for a walk, go listen to something that's inspiring and hearing somebody else share their experiences. It's like a shortcut in life. You can learn from their pain and their challenges so you don't make the same mistakes. And I wish I had done that earlier in my life. But every week I, I do this. I have a little rubber cell phone mount on my Peloton and I listen to podcasts and listen to videos. And that's where I try to educate myself every single day based on kind of listening to our peers in the space.
0: I love it, Chris. You have been a lot of fun to get to know today, and I'm looking forward to doing more work with you and partnership leaders as a member and also as an affiliate. So, uh, looking forward to a great 2023 together.
1: Appreciate it. your scholar and gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on, Vince. Good. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. Same here, Chris. Awesome, thank you.
0: So there you have it. Another amazing guest joins Ultimate Guide to Partnering, and I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Odds are if you're a technology partner executive and hearing my voice, chances are you too are looking to accelerate your success through partnerships. I mean, let's face it, we all have seen partnerships that look good on paper, but never live up to their expected results. There are a lot of reasons why partnerships fail. And at Ultimate Partnerships, we help you get it right by applying a proven set of best practices and framework that's used by leading partners working with Microsoft and other technology giants. If you want to learn more, follow the link in the show notes or visit our website at ultimateguidetopartnering.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Menzion. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and Facebook.com slash Ultimate Guide to Partnering. We'll catch you next time on the Ultimate Guide to
1: Partnering.